Hey, Rob here. Before we get started with this episode, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Um, we did go out of our way to record our initial reactions to Suicide Squad, so later when you hear our review, you'll see about midway through the sound quality shift. That's because we were going from in the car on the way back from the theater to actually you know, recording from within the house. Also, after a couple more days of reflection, I, uh, I would probably drop my rating that I mentioned later in the episode about half a star so without further ado let's let's jump into this episode welcome to the crooked table podcast this is rob so i know it's been a couple weeks since we've been doing this and i keep saying i'm going to get into a more regular more regular schedule um, but I, I promise that I'm working on it. I actually have new equipment now to record podcasts and do kind of streamline the editing process. So I fully intend on moving uh, closer towards that in the next couple weeks and uh, hopefully putting out an episode once a week. I have a bunch of housekeeping things and things I've been meaning to address on the podcast. So I just wanted to blow through a few of those real fast. Uh, some of my favorite movies of the year thus far, Civil War. I know we didn't really get a chance to talk about it on the podcast due to, I guess, the temporary hiatus that we inadvertently found ourselves in. But Captain America Civil War, Zootopia, and Sing Street are my three favorite movies of the year. I was going to do a whole separate episode about that, but didn't really get a chance. And now that we're in August, we're actually closer to the end of the year than the middle, uh, or moving closer to the end of the year, to the fall season almost. So I just wanted to throw those out, as well as... Uh, kind of touching base on a little bit of DC stuff, um, especially since this episode we're going to be delving into our review of Suicide Squad. So first off, let me just say that I just finished season one of The Flash, finally, after, after like towards the end of season two, I finally, I finally broke down and I was just like, okay, I guess I need to check this out because people keep saying how great it is. And I was a fan of Grant Gustin from uh, Glee. And, you know, I heard all the time travel possibilities. I watched the Flashpoint Paradox animated film. Uh, and I have a little bit of familiarity with the character beforehand. Uh, I haven't really watched a lot. I watched or read a lot of his um, stories before this series. So I'm sort of learning about the Flash comic book mythology as I go along. But I was really impressed with season one. I love all the... I, I'm not going to delve into any spoilers on it. I'm just giving you my general uh, impressions of the series. Uh, really love all the characters. I, I, I think it's it's very interesting when you watch more recent shows like this um, on the CW because you can really feel the influence of shows like Buffy and that you know Flash has his own little Scooby gang with Cisco and Caitlin and Doctor Wells uh, and you know it extends more as the season goes on and I, and I really love the tone of you know how they incorporate time travel intrigue and you know all the meta human drama kind of ground it and keep it from getting too serious. It's, I really feel like the DC films, and, you know, I'll get into that a little more in this episode, I really feel like the films need to borrow more from the TV style that, they, that they've incorporated because, I mean, they've had such success with The Flash to a slightly lesser degree, at least the last season or two from what I've heard, uh, with Arrow, you know, and Supergirl. Uh, I mean, I think that the films need to have a more balanced tone like the shows managed to pull off, where you have an emotional scene, then you have a joke the next moment, then a really dramatic, uh, you know, almost borderline terrifying um, moment afterwards. We get into that more and more as the reverse Flash storyline really plays out throughout season one. 
but I'm I'm really sort of gravitating more towards the TV shows than I am the movies. I mean, of course, I'm a movie guy principally, so I'm very curious to see everything they have coming up. I was relatively uh, intrigued by the Wonder Woman and Justice League trailers. I wasn't quite enthusi- quite as enthusiastic as I've seen a lot of people be. Uh, I think I'm just learning to temper my expectations when it comes to their films lately, especially after Suicide Squad, and again, we'll get into that. But, um, but I am curious what they have in store uh, with both of those movies. I think probably Wonder Woman has an uh, opportunity to be better than Justice League just because Justice League does have the Zack Snyder factor as well as you know the huge expectations of trying to establish all these characters in a relatively short period of time. So, so yeah, Flash Season 1, highly recommended. If you haven't watched it, definitely jump on it, especially since they're going to be delving into t- uh, Flashpoint the beginning of Season 3. Uh, so now I'm on a mission to track down Season 2. So either getting my hands on the DVD or the Blu-ray or uh, seeing if I can find somewhere where Season 2 is streaming. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to checking, uh, catching up on that as soon as possible, and I'll keep you guys posted on what I think of Season 2. So continuing, since somehow this is all DC content this week, and I know it probably looks like we're really biased against Marvel since we did a whole Batman v Superman uh, episode, and now we're doing a Suicide Squad largely episode, I assure you that's not intentional. It's just the way that scheduling happened where Captain America Civil War sort of got lost in the shuffle for uh, for our coverage on, on the Crooked Table podcast. But it's also, I mean, I, and I mentioned this again later in the episode when we talk about Suicide Squad. It's spoilers, I guess that's been recorded already. Um, but it just feels like Marvel has sort of slipped into not a formulaic storyline, but it's like we know what to expect from them. They have very, consi- they're very consistent with their film slate. And to me, at least, it's very rare that they deliver something exceptional. Civil War, Winter Soldier, Avengers, those to me are all like 4.5 to 5 uh, films. And it's just, you know, other than that, most of them are more like 3.5. They're decent, they're fun, but they're not, nothing to like write home about, nothing transcendent where you're going to tell people that don't even like superhero films that they need to see it. Whereas DC, I feel like, yes, they're not, ne- not necessarily up to the quality of Marvel, at least not yet. You know, they, their shared universe is still young. If we remember back in Marvel Cinematic Universe early days, not that many people were impressed with Incredible Hulk or Iron Man 2, really, either. So, And I would maintain that Man of Steel, which is equivalent to the Iron Man of the DC Cinematic Universe, is actually probably still the strongest of the three DC uh, Extended Universe movies, and uh, I know that's probably a divisive thing to say since that movie had quite the reaction from fans, thanks to Zod's snapped neck and uh, all the other Zack Snydery things that people don't seem to respond to very much. Um, but yeah, so DC at least taking risks, uh, trying to figure themselves out, and to me, I guess maybe they feel like there's more to say with their films than there are the Marvel ones. Even though the Marvel films, I mean, are sort of undisputedly, at least within the fan community, undisputedly solid uh, to too excellent. So just real quick before Kai, Kai's going to join me in a little bit to discuss Suicide Squad. 
But before I, we jump into that, I just wanted to give my quick thoughts on Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition and Batman The Killing Joke, which is now on Blu-ray. I actually saw it in theaters uh, at a Fathom event, and uh, since I'm already talking about that, let's delve into that one real fast. So I know this movie has been the subject of a lot of controversy with the Batgirl prologue, the first 30 minutes or so, that tries, tries to contextualize the main Killing Joke storyline, and I will concede that it is definitely the weakest part of the film. Um, there are a lot of troubling aspects with regard to the character of Batgirl, her relationship with Batman, and again, I'm trying to remain spoiler-free for this. We'll have a spoiler discuss discussion of Suicide Squad later, so... But these two are really just general thoughts. Um, a lot of troubling implications for Batgirl, and I can see why people feel like it's sexist, or like it actually... Um, that it actually makes the character look worse than she does in the original Killing Joke storyline, but, uh, but I, I don't mean... I don't know... I'm obviously, I'm coming from my own perspective, and that's really all I can do with any of these reviews. But I didn't really feel like it, it damaged her as much. I, I, did think, I did notice that in my screening, as I said, I saw it during the two-day event uh, in theaters, that there were a lot of people sort of laughing and snickering when, uh, when Batman reacts to her a certain way early in the film. And when things play out, sort of not really taking it seriously. And I, I, I didn't really nece necessarily read it that way. It did seem like she had a lot of agency. And her connection with Batman early on was really more of uh, something, that, something that she was in pursuit of. Something that she, like, really born out of her own motivation. Rather than, you know, being uh, used or objectified. Uh, as she is later in the story. And I feel like if they hadn't added that prologue, as problematic as it may be, I feel like the film would have been even more criticized by fans um, because of the way that she's treated in the storyline by the Joker and the way that those... Uh, the way that she is essentially just a... gives Batman a reason to go after Joker and kind of just a, uh, a pawn in Joker's scheme against Gordon and Batman... And even though the uh, even so even though the prologue didn't entirely work for me, the rest of it, the voice casting, of course, with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, was so spot on, so strong. And Alan Moore's writing, the conversations that the two of those characters have, and the dialogue and the the, uh, the music, the original song. Well, I mean, not original because the lyrics are actually right ripped right out of the, the Alan Moore text. But the music that they set it to, as well as the score, and uh, some people have criticized the animation style, but I feel like it does, it isn't as sh sharp as some of the other um, Batman animated films, but it, it does have a sort of, a little bit of a griminess to it, and I feel like that, I feel like that's intentional, because the artwork in the original comic book, in the original graphic novel, was also sort of... I don't know, uh, unpolished, and I think it's supposed to make it feel grittier and more like a, uh, like a pulpy story based on all the controversial content in there, and I, th I felt that was really fitting for this storyline. Um, but, but yeah, the, that second, the, you know, the latter half of the film, when it's basically a direct translation of the graphic novel, that I thought was all superb. I would probably, if it was just that and they expanded it out without 
kind of diluting it with that prologue sequence, it probably would have been more of a 4.5 for me. Uh, whereas the Batgirl stuff, because it doesn't entirely work, even though I, I see what they were going for, uh, that probably would have been more of a 3-ish. Uh, so I, I, you know, with my review that I did for WeGotThisCovered.com, if you want to check that out over there, uh, I actually had to give it a 4 out of 5. I thought The Killing Joke was a solid effort, uh, probably more successful overall than Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, as well as Suicide Squad, but again, more on that later. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure why 100% it didn't work for people. Um, because, you know, I feel like the material that is directly lifted from the graphic novel is strong enough to sort of help the film overcome uh, some of the problems of the first 20 to 30 minutes. So that was, those are just my general thoughts on Batman the Killing Joke. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's not, you know, it's by far not the best animated uh, film that's come out of DC. It's not even the best animated films with Batman or, you know, the best uh, Batman film of the last few years or anything like that. But I thought it was, it was a worthwhile effort. And, you know, I'm glad that they finally made that storyline uh, into, you know, in, into an adaptation for the screen and brought, uh, brought along the, the most iconic Batman and Joker especially uh, voice actors to, to bring it to life. So, delving now, shifting gears from The Killing Joke to Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. I've, I've, uh, I've sort of been kind of vocal on Twitter about, you know, looking forward to this and wanting to check it out. And, and I actually ended up, because the film is three hours long and I have a million things going on, pretty much always, I ended up sort of watching it in installments, and, and in doing so, I sort of inadvertently had an epiphany. It does feel like this three-hour cut is very akin to Zack Snyder's ultimate version of Watchmen, which is actually the one I own on Blu-ray, and probably my preferred one, even though I understand that a lot of people have to take issue with the animated sequence. They think it brings down the pacing, which I, I don't uh, necessarily disagree with. But I feel like the ultimate version of Watchmen, just like BVS, is best watched in snippets. And what I mean by that is if you take both of those three-hour films and you cut them into, like, one-hour chunks, it does sort of play out like a comic book soap opera, essentially. And uh, with BVS specifically, I noticed that if you break it down, like, the end of the first hour being... Um, the Senate hearing or, or the, the montage of newscasters and people talking about, well, do we really need a Superman? And, and Superman, you know, dragging that ship and saving those people and ending on sort of a down note, basically questioning, do we need this guy around? Is he, you know, the controversy surrounding Superman? And then the second hour ending right before Lex Luthor's, or right before, right after, right around the time where Lex Luthor is kicking into fight night, day versus night, man versus God, and that whole thing. It, it really keys up, uh, keys up the Batman versus Superman fight, even though that in and of itself is a bit underwhelming, and, and leaves it open for the third hour to be all action, Wonder Woman, Doomsday, and all that stuff. Obviously, spoilers if you haven't seen at least the trailers for BBS, but... I do feel like it does work best watching it about an hour at a time, sort of like a miniseries more than an actual film that's designed to be seen in one sitting. 
And in doing so, I feel like you're able to better digest what's happening because the story in that film is overly complex. And I'm not going to defend the storyline because I do think that there are a lot of issues. I think Lex Luthor's plan is way too complicated, but I think that the ultimate version sort of fleshes out fleshes that out a little bit more so that it makes sense. It does feel like, and I'm going to compare it to another director's cut of a superhero film, it does feel sort of like the Daredevil director's cut. And before, you know, before all the movie, all all of you that hate that movie, jump down my, you don't jump on me about that. I will say that I don't think the Daredevil movie or the director's, the theatrical version or the director's cut are perfect films, but I do think that the director's cut sheds a lot more light and really helps elaborate on what's going on in the theatrical version of Daredevil. If you watch the theatrical cut, the Kingpin's plan and how he gets caught and all of that pretty much make no sense. And I do feel like for in the in, in the interest of cutting that film down, getting the running time uh, under two hours so that they can maximize the number of showings that they can do in the theater and you know increase their box office potential, both Daredevil and BVS basically cut all the storyline in uh, in favor of action scenes and and trying to keep viewers interested with just like a lot of frenetic uh, footage rather than rather than contextualizing it. And the ultimate edition of Batman vs Superman really really adds in the necessary details to get a full grasp on what Lex Luthor is trying to pull off. Even though, yes, his plan is kind of ridiculous. If you've seen the Honest trailer that Screen Junkies did, they have a whole, they have a great part there where they do a whole list of Lex Luthor's plan, including everything from peeing in a jar to, you know, blackmailing people and getting access to bodies and pitting, you know, finding out all these secrets of everybody and all that stuff. Uh, The Ultimate Edition does make that a little more palatable and some of the added some of the added footage uh added action there's a little bit of a couple act couple different action beats in the fight with batman which makes him a little more brutal and i think actually by making him slightly more overtly uh, brutal in the ultimate edition it uh i think it, it actually serves well in supporting his arc by the end where you know he's decided to turn a corner to not to not go too far uh, to, to fight crime and, and to sort of reinstitute his one rule, as it were, uh, after 20 years of Gotham and 20 years of fighting crime in Gotham, rather. And it sort of refocuses his mission um, in light of, uh, spoilers again, like I said, in light of Superman's death. I did also enjoy the, the mention of Arkham towards the end, and I think it, it, it uh, transitions well into Suicide Squad, and, you know, you still see Bell Reeve, you see Arkham, you see all those characters, a lot of characters in that film that dovetail well from the conclusion of Batman versus Superman. So overall, I'm still probably, I'd probably still stick with a rating of about three. I do think that um, Batman and Superman, the, the, the device that Snyder and his team used to get the two of them to fight isn't really satisfying because it's not truly motivated on both sides. It's really just Batman who wants to kill Superman and Superman who's trying to save his mom. And the Martha moment does still feel slightly off and not 100% earned, even though it is kind of an interesting way of leveraging the fact that both of their moms have names Martha. And I I do like that it 
Superman's the, the fact that Superman has a mom snaps Batman out of his like his um, blind rage. It just seems that all of a sudden they, you know, I don't know how that really turns into them being allies. Where two seconds later he's telling Martha Kent, not Martha Wayne, he's telling Martha Kent, "Oh, I'm a friend of your son's." And and that, that even when I saw it in theaters, I was like, "Friend? I mean, you're gonna kill him like five minutes ago." But okay, I mean, I guess I guess now you're friends because Martha. Um, so and I do feel like some of the CG overload in the third act gets a little uh gets a little much and it this was a this is a complaint i had about the initial theatrical cut but i I don't feel i don't know it it just seems overdone there's still still too much going on even with a three-hour runtime now and i really wish they would have split it in half and had the the keying up of the justice league maybe been like the first half of the Justice League film that we're going to be getting and have that sort of be with Wonder Woman and develop into uh, the rest of the team members. But regardless, uh, most uh, there's enough stuff in there that works for me. Uh, still a huge fan of Ben Affleck's Batman, have been since they announced him uh, being cast in that role. Really looking forward to seeing more of Gal Gadot in Wonder Woman. I even like Lex Luthor in this film as Jesse Eisenberg played it. Even though I recognize, I totally understand those of you who find him incredibly obnoxious and, and off-putting. I don't know. It sort of worked for me. Uh, and, you know, you'll hear my thoughts on Jerry Leto's Joker in a little bit. But, but yeah, so overall, I, I enjoy the film, but I recognize it's very flawed. I think three out of five is still the perfect rating, even for the Ultimate Edition. All right, so we just literally just walked out of uh, advanced screening of Suicide Squad. We'll be putting this up on Friday when the film comes out. So we haven't even asked each other really what we thought of the movie. So yeah, he put me on a. I put you on. You were on a talking embargo. A talking embargo, pretty much. Um, so what was your? I guess we should we should first just kind of set up. So it, the movie we're going to be talking about spoilers just because you know it's no fun if there's no spoilers, and the movie does blatantly reference the fact that Batman v Superman has happened. Yeah, uh, so they, that was going to did that. They, they uh, show actually like footage of people sort of, I don't know, some kind of a funeral or some kind of a memorial procession or something yeah, it looked like for it was, Superman. Yeah. So I wasn't spoilers sure at if first. You, spoiler for you, if you didn't see BBS, they based, you know, they, get to, they reveal in here that Batman, um, that Superman is dead. Um, so, so that was good. I thought for the, I mean, I had heard that beforehand, but it was good just for the sake of, you know, clarity that the movie does make explicit. Yes. Yeah, so this is a world now without Superman. But here's the thing they, though. I don't feel like it made, it was clear through the, I don't know, through the t-shirts and the, through the funeral procession. I feel like it was more clear when it was more mentioned by, um, Oh, in the government yeah, room and that's stuff. That's when it became more explicit to me. Okay. just implied. Well, but the point being, well, I mean, you did see, you saw all that. They show you, like, Superman's dead, now we're sad about it. And then, yes, they, they mention... sometimes. I know, I, it could be that. <laughs> it's also, you know, you're watching a, a night and probably had a long day and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the movie does basically the impetus for the Suicide Squad, that for Amanda Waller, played by Viola Davis, to kind of kick off the Task Force X program. Which, you know, basically becomes the Suicide Squad Is, you know, them, I guess the government looking for another 
way to combat supernatural threats now that Superman's not around to rely on, essentially, right? It does, it does seem like she was, she was probably at least capitalizing on that opportunity to be like, well, let me jump on this so I can get the approval. Well, she doesn't seem like they liked Superman anyway. They seem like they more wanted well, there was a way controversy. to... controversy. Superman... Yeah. In BV, Which is we're, weird we're, that we're Batman's totally, okay. We're totally... Well, no. Not Batman okay. isn't... Batman... Not to, okay. To Amanda Waller was... Well, to Amanda Waller is not a good guy. Amanda Waller is very morally gray. Well, yes, but I'm just saying that she would... She had... She was preferable to have Batman working on her side than Superman. They all thought, including her, thought that Superman was a risk. Same thing Batman thought. Right. So it seems to me they were glad that it's Superman. So you think? Do you think somewhere in the, in the room, Amanda Waller was like, "If there's a one percent chance that he's our enemy, we've got to take him out." Yeah, that's because she even said she said we need to have a task force. We have flying people. And what if the next first Superman? He was Superman was on our side. She says basically. What if the next meta meta human? And I don't think they use the term meta human in BVS. That's a DC thing that they use in the comic books. I'm watching The Flash, as, as some people might know. If they follow me on Twitter or, or listen to the podcast, they use metahuman in that show. That's a that's a DC term for people with abilities. And uh, That's a, lot, and, a whole lot nicer than mutant. Well, yeah, it's Marvel, a different thing. Mutant, mutant is uh, a mutant... Well, that's, well, they also have inhumans. It's different ways of getting abilities. In DC, metahuman just means it's a human with other... Like, an enhanced human, basically. Well, it's weird, though, with... Um... Which is what they call them in... Um, in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. They say, oh, it's just an enhanced. Oh, okay. They they don't call them an asset. No, no, yeah. But, well, Deadshot, though, is not enhanced. He's not a meta-human. No, he's, he's not a really a meta-human. He's like to, to shoot guns. He's an, ex- he's, a, he's an exception. I guess Captain Boomerang is it. Anyway, anyway, we're getting behind. Anyway, yeah. So, general impressions. What did you think of the movie? Like, on its own, and then, of course, in context with Man of Steel and BBS and stuff coming up. Well, I, I would say that I did like it more than both Man of Steel and BVS. I um, I think Zack Snyder, he, as a director, his movies just go on for too long with with just a whole bunch of stuff, whether it's a fight sequence or... All that slow motion. Oh, yeah, I just, I don't like his, de- his directorial movies, but he produced this one and I liked it. Um, so I like his one a little bit better. It was so weird that the, the all the logos and the the credits were so bright colored, brightly yeah, colored, was, because the movie itself is very dark. It was very bright colors in there, except Harley Quinn. Well, they put a lot of neon stuff like in, in early on. Um, I think when they're you know to transition to different to different scenes with flashbacks and such. Plus, the whole marketing campaign has all been with those ne- you know the neon logo and the poster and all that stuff. Um, Which so, gets your attention well, by itself, you know, yeah, trailers and stuff. And I think that's sort of the idea. So where would you land as far as out of five for this? Like 3.5-ish? I'll give it a 3.5. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm probably about the same. Uh, this, the structure for the movie felt really, I don't know, if it was was it just me or was the structure really weird? Uh, well. Because basically they spend, it feels like they spend like a half hour just being like, dead shot, here's his story. Harley Quinn, here's her story. Everybody's like cut a, like cutaway sort of. Well, yeah, and I think I like the way that they actually did the origin stories, but of course, rightfully, they spent more time on Deadshots and, and Harley Quinn. And Harley Quinn. It's actually they spent they spent a lot of time on Harley Quinn. Like well, I felt like that the whole, main, she's I the main like the attraction whole thing here. Was about her. It, because a, her and Joker. I'm like, okay. In a way, what it feels like. El Diablo is interesting. I want to know more about that guy. Well, he, not gonna get a chance to anymore. I know. You know, and know, and, and, and you know, he probably wasn't gonna stick around anyway. Um, but in a lot of ways, 
the Suicide Squad movie does feel like a safer way to, like a backdoor way into a Harley Quinn movie. Because in a lot of the parts in this movie was very Harley Quinn focused, as you said. They have the um, the cut, the flashback that Amanda Waller introdu- introduces when she's talking about Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn used to be Dr. Harleen Quinzel, and we get a little bit of that. And then we have a couple more flashbacks just when Harley is just thinking about stuff. Um, but it did, you know, I mean, Harley Quinn is such a iconic character now that I, I mean, I sort of expected her to have a lot of the focus um, and Deadshot being, especially having Will Smith in the role, Deadshot is a pretty prominent character in DC Comics as well I sort of figured that they would be that kind of take up more of the screen time and the narrative uh, you know, the narrative focus where, I mean, we actually understand more of where they're coming from and what their motivations are um, throughout the movie than we do people like Di- well Diablo has get some he gets some later through, on yeah. it takes yeah. a while which I'm glad it went there yeah because I was curious in what what his story was or why he didn't want to so so since you're you know since it, the movie is so team based and we're already we're talking about Harley Quinn and Deadshot how did you feel about those two characters did they work for you what did you think of the little focus reunion between Will Smith and Margot Robbie um, was the casting? Did the casting uh, work for you? I thought I thought Will Smith was was actually a pretty good um, choice for Deadshot. Except uh, he always plays Will Smith. He like, does he to was an ex- Will Smith in this he movie. He does to an he, yeah to an ex- to an extent, but not not to the same level. Well, I mean, was, they he did. He was a villain here. He's right. very rarely he was, a villain. He was an anti-hero, really, more than anything, because we're like, he oh, wasn't kill people. Just we root for you, even though you're bad, but you're not bad entirely, because you love your daughter, and that's. I think that is something from the comics. Um, but, but yeah, he did tone down the Will Smithisms. He wasn't like, Psh, no, and things like, you know, oh hell no. Like, I'm glad he didn't say that. You could tell that he was trying to. He, he, I don't know if it was him, his choice, or the director it was like, hey, Will, don't be you. You know what I mean? It, it didn't feel like the exact same guy like from Independence Day and Men in Black and those other movies. It did feel like a variation on that. Okay, But But not, you know, he didn't just take his normal on-screen persona and sort of transition it over. Okay. Uh, and they, they did make go out of their way to make him, you know, to, to emphasize the fact that he is bad and have him kill a bunch of people in some scenes and things like that. Um, so I mean that was my thoughts on Deadshot. So for for Deadshot first, what did you where did you land on that? Were you agree? I mean, Will Smith did a good enough job with it, and I think he was he's a it's a it's a cool idea for a villain slash antihero. Right. Um, so Deadshot was cool, and um, it just it's funny because it seemed like they were all really good with guns, except they made Deadshot like the gun guy. Well, that's his thing. Yeah. yeah so. Well, I mean, Captain Boomerang has his. Which no, didn't seem like it did anything. He killed people. Did he, well, he, did he, did he really? People with that? I, did he? I, I don't know. I don't really it's feel PG like he did anything. It's PG-13, and so they have to sort of be very careful on, you know, the kinds of violence that they show. He just seemed like he talked shit and Boom, drank. Boom, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty uh, much it. So Harley Quinn, then. Did you like her, or did you find her annoying? Because, you know, to, I, I have... I'm, I, didn't, I mean, I'm not hugely versed on the comics, but I have at least passing familiarity with most of these characters. But I know this this is like pretty much all new to you, minus Joker, basically. Right. Um, no, and this isn't anything to you know for Margot Robbie's performance. But I just I I was a little put off by how sexualized they made her. Like, of course, she's the one that doesn't even have a real outfit to wear. She's 
the short around. the short shorts and like yeah, a basically, it's basically a bra. glorified underwear. And well, I mean, she did wear the the daddy's little monster thing thing over it for some of the runtime at least. I mean, it wasn't entirely her running around in her underwear, even though I think there was some of that. But it's just and there was a visual callback to her uh, jester suit from the comics. Once when she gets her stuff, she holds it up for a second. She wore that. Yeah, but then you would have been like, "This looks ridiculous." You know I what I mean? So. They have to build up to that. They'll probably do that in another movie. Um, but but when did this chick get so good with guns and like she's doing acrobats with, on people? She's been hanging with the Joker. You but gotta, he doesn't do that stuff. He doesn't you gotta do be up to, We'll get to the Joker, but we're we're trying to hit the main teammate team members first. But I I don't know. I just think she was definitely over sexualized and yeah. I that kind of that bummed me out because Margot Robbie she's a beautiful she's a beautiful woman and she's a very talented actress yeah and too. they the, they totally played it up on that and well, I but wish I, in a way she didn't do that I think to a certain well one I mean there's there's a couple reasons for that one they want to sell tickets and you put put this hot blonde in, in all the, your promotional materials, that's one way to get asses and seats, first of all. And secondly, I feel like, at least in the, I feel like in the context of the movie that Harley Quinn is using that to her advantage. And she's doing that shit on purpose to throw people off balance, sort of in the way that, like, in the Charlie's Angels movie, they would sort of, like, Drew Barrymore, who's I know is your girl, would, like, try and be all flirty to, to try and, like, you know get access to places and things like that. I did get a sense that she was sorry, self-aware for the most part, uh, except, you know, that one part where she's changing. But even then, it could have been just so so people think of her as a sex object. Like, you know, early on, when the, uh, when the guards are coming in and she's, like, flirting with him and licking the bars and trying to be all sexy, and he's like, yeah, no, you put five of my guys in the hospital. I'm not falling for that shit. So I, at least I did get the sense that she, it's, in a way... In a way, it's objectifying her, but in another sense, it's also, like, how she empowers herself. She uses that to her advantage. It's also, okay, well, one thing I'm also wondering, is she that crazy in the comic books? Yeah, oh, yeah. I believe so. I mean, yeah, granted, there's been multiple versions of the comic books and such, but I did like that the movie, the movie made it clear that it was her choice to undergo the same chemical treatment that the Joker had. Like he asks her, he's like, "Are you ready for this?" He's like, "Do you want? Do you want this?" And she's yes. He's like, "Tell me you want it or whatever." And then he throws her in the in the vat, or she jumps in the vat of chemicals. She already he has the stuff her. on her on she, her brain, right? Yeah, she, he he'd already been. First of all, he well, she was the way it goes is that she was treating him, but he was manipulating her, and so she was and she was falling in love with him at the same time. So there was a lot of, you know. It's basically their 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 connection is essentially like the most toxic relationship ever is what they're going for, you know. These two people are really bad, but even worse together. Right. And they sort of kind of need each other, but they're also, you know, they don't have a healthy relationship. They're sort of trapped together in a way, infatuated, obsessed. And I think this movie really kind of nailed that di- that dynamic, where you know he's like coming after her wherever she is and. You know, she's, like, so smitten that she's having fantasies of both of them being totally fine and having a family and a a home. I thought that was kind of an interesting peek into her psyche, Uh, even though she knows that's not possible because they're both, they're all bad and, you know, fucked up and kind of irredeemable at this point. I thought that was, uh, that was an interesting dynamic to the character. So I would say for the most part, I think, uh, I think Harley, Harley Quinn really worked for me. And I thought she was probably had most of the best moments in the movie. Uh, I feel like whenever she said anything, the people in the, in the theater were were laughing or, or like you know totally behind it. 
Yeah, so if she's really that crazy in the comic books, then I guess it makes sense that she's that crazy in the movies, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes she got on my nerves a little like, bit. What, like, for in examples? I don't know. It's, I guess this guy, how crazy she was, she's just like always like, yeah, let's go kill people. And like, like, whatever. Let's, yeah, I just, it, that whole lackadaisical attitude that she had towards or like down for whatever mayhem I, yeah I just, well that's the thing but but that's the perfect woman for the Joker he's already into chaos so it makes sense that he would want to be with someone like that or but she wasn't like that like though as a like counselor that. well no it was I, I mean I'd like to think that it was simultaneously him manipulating her and also her just sort of falling for him for whatever reason maybe she, maybe because she was a you know a psychiatrist and she became fascinated by him and then that gave him an opportunity to sort of twist her mind to I don't know um, but I mean I, I, I'm looking forward to in the way the movie ends of course they set it up for the two of them running around the streets of Gotham starting shit so they can pop up in Ben Affleck's solo Batman movie whenever that happens which I don't think we have I don't think we have a release date announced yet but it has been confirmed that he's directing it as well so that oh, should ben be Affleck? really cool yeah yeah oh yeah so that should be really cool so I'm looking forward to that um and I guess, what about, let's do the next pair. Let's do uh, Captain Boomerang and Amanda Waller. So, oh, that's uh, the next pair? Let's do that. Let's do that Amanda pair Amanda Waller's not a Suicide Squad. She's not, but she's a major part of the movie. I'm feel like, I feel like we should save the Joker for last. Okay. And then some of, the more, some of the more inconsequential people will just sort of um, group together and such. And one of them in, sp- in particular I'm going to save for when I start tell- talking about the issues that I have with the movie. Okay. Um, okay, so my opinion of Captain Boomerang, I kind of said earlier, but I felt like he didn't really contribute very much to the Suicide Squad overall. He, he, he was just sort of there. Time as, just drinking and talking shit. Yeah, he was just sort of there as comic relief. I think that was pretty much the only reason he was there. But I will say this for, for there's not a whole lot more to talk about with his character. He's not just really. kind of. But I will say this: I did think he was amusing, and I I think it's the first movie I've seen Jai Courtney in where he wasn't like really bland and totally white bread and forgettable. So in that respect, congratulations, Suicide Squad! You finally made Jai Courtney interesting. Well, I liked what he said to Harley Quinn at the bar. Which, that was one of the best lines. The bar, that scene in the, at the bar was actually one of the best scenes in the movie. I yeah. thought. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, she's she's beautiful, but you know, doesn't. Because she has, she's ugly inside. So that he penned it, <laughs> he penned it perfectly. Okay. Well, we were gonna do Amanda Waller, but now when you said that, it made me think of Killer Croc, one of his best moments. Oh. Where she's like, Harley Quinn's like, oh, except for him, he's ugly outside too, and he's like, oh no, honey, I'm beautiful. And he takes his hood off. I thought, I, I can't. I, it's hard for me to remember how to pronounce the, the gentleman's name. Uh, Ottawale. I forget how to do his last couple, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'm just going to let it be. But uh, I thought he was great as Killer Croc, and I'm really glad that he survived this movie so we can see more of him, because he's a Batman villain as well, so, you know, he can pop up wherever in any Batman movies or wherever down the line. Um, And it's cool that this movie established all these villains that are now just existing in the world. Uh, So, you know, Killer Croc I thought was fun, and he didn't have much to say, but when he did say something, it it was... it was memorable and added added uh, something special to the movie. Yeah, and like that I, line I, about the sewer too. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And the way when he started swimming in the water, people were like getting a kick out of that behind us. Um, and I do think that David Ayer, the director and writer, actually too, I do think he made the right choice in going with Killer Croc over King Shark. I think King Shark would have looked we would have stuck out like a sore thumb among this group. And Killer Croc was supernatural enough that he, he, you know, he kind of, um, 
would cause the audience to take him, you know, taken aback, but also grounded enough that he didn't look ridiculous standing next to the rest of the cast. I'm just the, curious on how he characters. got that way. Skin condition, story. skin condition that sort of like really worsened, I think, is yes. what happens. Wow, it's okay. different. There's different versions of him. I told you, in one of them, he straight up looks like a crocodile, like like the lizard in in uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, like that. Um, so I guess we just covered Killer Croc, but I thought he was okay. Great. There you go. So Amanda Waller. Um, Viola Davis. Davis played it very one note to me, but so I, awesome, I know that though. she was doing that. Like yeah. that was part of her performance. Right. But yeah, she was like intimidating. Yeah, that's that, Viola Davis. I mean, Amanda Waller in the comics, from my you know my understanding, is essentially one of the only characters that doesn't give a fuck about Batman. Like she knows his identity. They go toe to toe, and they're constantly in this battle of wits back and forth. And I think the post uh, or mid credit scene, like I said, spoilers. I think the mid mid credit scene really uh, captured that dynamic in like in in the ma- a matter of a minute or two, and uh, also explained where. Um, where Bruce Wayne got some of the information on Arthur Curry and Barry Allen to lead him to to them in Justice League. Oh, okay. I mean, right. we, still all we knew is that they BBS. all he knew in BB. Yeah, yeah. I think we're just going literally minus except for Wonder Woman. Obviously, that's a that's they're kind of doing the Captain America First Avenger approach, where yeah, these are all in order except for this one, which is way back in the past. You know, that seems right. to be what they're doing um, because all Bruce Wayne knew from BBS was that these guys were out there. Not how to get a hold of them, where they were, their identities, and all this stuff. So he was able to sort of get that information. And of course, Amanda Waller. Waller knows everything. Yeah, well, that's her. Yeah, exactly. Like she said, she's like, I'm everywhere. I see everything. She was, she was great. Uh, more of her, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't, uh, they, they kept her around because now you have all these great actors and interesting characters, and now we are, now you've been, in, they've been introduced to the. DC Extended Universe, which I believe is what they're going, what they're calling this. You know how there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I think they I believe they're going with DC Extended Universe That's is what I'm more boring, but okay. Yeah, it's a little it's a little longer too. But I, I don't think I think they just didn't want to call it DC Cinematic Universe. Be like, hey, we're like Marvel. Right, right. Same name and everything, guys. Because they've already st- each of them he's stolen enough stuff from the comic books. Right. And the funny thing is that they basically trade off like, oh, this character Marvel copied from DC, this character DC copied from Marvel. So the the uh, the never-ending competition between the two of them continues. Um, okay, so delving into, let's just group together the rest of the people minus the Joker and one specific person that I'm going to get to that I thought was probably the weakest element of the movie. So I thought Katana was interesting. I like the whole yeah. part with the, the souls in her sword and uh, the fact that she's not really a villain. She's sort of a mercenary, I guess. Just kind of works with whoever. She's a, she's a female Deadpool? A little bit. I don't know. Not as jokey, for sure. Yeah, I know. But uh, I, I like the fact that, you know, they, they brought her into this world, and I'm curious how they're going to use her in the future. Yeah, she's badass. Um, did you want to pick the next one that we touch on? There's a, still a couple more. Um, I, you sound like you like Diablo, so... Let's talk about... Yeah, I was just going to say that. Let's talk about Diablo. So I... Um, so Jay Hernandez, I have not seen anything in a long time. The first thing I saw him in Crazy, Crazy Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I was gonna say. yeah, 15 years ago. So it's good to see him in like a, a meaty role like this. And um, I I liked Diablo a lot. I thought he was a really complex character, and I liked his backstory. And it's you know it's a really sad story. Well, as soon as his powers were like crazy. Man, they don't. He doesn't. They don't need the other Suicide Squad members. They just need him. The fact that he's not really that much of a known quantity, um, you know, in the, across the various DC properties, like he's not. Killer Croc has appeared in a lot of things. Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, and stuff like that. 
the fact that Diablo is not a, as well known a character, I sort of figured he would probably be one to bite the dust. And the fact that they were painting him as a very tragic figure up front, where he's like, no, I'll, I'll die before I'll ever, you know, do that kind of thing again. I was like, okay, you're gonna die, but that's what that means. I'm surprised he didn't burn himself a lot to a crisp when he turned into the fire. Yeah. That yeah. was pretty, that was. That was crazy. Yeah, that was intense, but, but yeah, I like Diablo. He was um, the most, I think he was the most interesting. Rick Flag for me was just kind of there. And uh, Slipknot died right away, so he didn't really. Even yeah, they didn't even introduce him. I thought Joel Kinnaman, and, and might as well get to this now. Joel Kinnaman, who played Rick Flag, I thought his whole love story with uh, June Moon, who, the, who was the entra- enchantress. I thought that whole love story fell flat for me, and I actually thought the Enchantress was the weakest part of the whole movie. I 100% agree with you. I don't know if it's because of Cara Delevingne, if that's how you say her name. I think it is. I, I don't know if it's because she's not as um, you know accomplished of an actress or what, but that character just really fell flat for me. That whole storyline just felt really rushed, and it was the source of all the supernatural part of the movie, really. And I didn't think that the film really established that well enough or really earned the crazy places that it went with that character. Right. I Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And but the thing is, though, for to the credit of Cara DeVille's performance is I do think that her being a model helped with her mannerisms. She did. Her mannerisms were very model-esque. Oh, the way, the way she, she moved and stuff. Yeah, yeah I could say uh, I, that was probably the... I mean, it's not, and I don't want to be like. So she's very seductive. I don't want to be like ragging. That way. I don't want to be ragging. It really bothers you that all the women in this movie are sexualized, doesn't it? No, I just know. I'm just well, saying. Because you were saying that, about Harley earlier. Well, no, I'm not, but that has nothing to do with what I'm saying about the Enchantress. I'm yeah, saying but that I was the way that the fact that she has modeling, her experiences in modeling. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it and helped. I, with and the I don't mean to tear into the actress. It's not the actress's fault. I just didn't find that character very interesting. And the fact that she spoke very monotone. And I guess, I guess that she's supposed to be otherworldly. Oh, wasn't I mean, that because she also... Um, Amanda Waller even said that she's from another dimension. Well, uh, but, but the, I don't know. though, she wasn't really... But wasn't she not really even talking her language until she did... Um, she Til, went the, to the Amanda the Waller of the movie. section. I guess, that, yeah. She abducted her. So that, I thought because I thought that was what was going on with her voice. Was It was Amanda Waller's voice. That's why it sounded like that. Amanda Waller's voice? That's not Amanda Waller's voice. Well, it was like, it was kind of like that, though, because she was basically speaking in a different language the entire movie until so the part where she to... kidnapped Amanda Waller. Yeah, but she didn't sound like Amanda Waller's voice. What do you mean? It didn't. Well, Amanda Waller talked very one note the whole movie, too. She had a very one note. Yeah, but she's like that. I don't know. Not really. I mean, sort of, but not really. Because she's just like in control all the time. So she's got no reason to raise her voice or anything. That's her whole thing. But the, and then again, maybe the Enchantress on some level feels like that too, but I, I don't know. I just, Basically, was with, well, I figured it was that because how else did she go from not even speaking English to then all of a sudden she's, yeah, but I don't think there's anything in the movie to support that. I don't know. Well, maybe that's the other problem then is that it doesn't support the fact that she's now speaking English when she was, oh, she's speaking, speaking English because these other people don't understand her language. That's why. How does she know it, though? How does she know English, then? I don't know. She's got June she's Moon. She's, in, years she's old. in another person's body. I don't know. But she's not June Moon of, anymore. I like how you, she, like, creates a monster, and then they create this army of, like, blob people, basically so that the Suicide Squad has something to kill that doesn't leave blood and body parts everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they were stupid. What a stupid army. Yeah. Like, but but I like how all that crazy shit's happening, but you're like, and how'd she know English? Because well, she, well, we she, were because talking about it. it. Well, no, the stupid blob people, like... They could be killed with the bat. 
in half? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. That was that really. That was really. The basically, what a dumb. Yeah. Enemy. And it's funny how everybody's like, DC, Marvel, DC, Marvel. It's like, because I felt like this movie had a lot of the same issues that I had with Guardians of the Galaxy. And this, in that the villain was really lame. The plan was really lame. The reason for the, for the, not even heroes in this case, not even heroes in that case either. That's a group of criminals and like misfits and miscreants who somehow become a family and by the way the fact that diablo is like i already lost one family i'm not gonna lose another one i was like okay really you've been hanging out with like a dad you guys are family yeah. these are fucking crazy people there's a <laughs> crocodile man and this this like i don't know um that didn't work for me it was like dominic toretto all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, like, i know i was thinking family. that too was- um so, and this movie so obviously wants to be guardians in that it's soundtrack i mean we went we throw blow through i think like three to five major pop songs in the first 10 15 minutes of the movie uh-huh. or less uh and you know like i said the whole idea of a group of um disconnected criminals coming together for a really shitty reason that's kind of just an excuse to bring them together yeah and what was it okay and the other thing is what it seemed like they spent a lot of time at the uh, the government building where amanda waller was right like but they actually really what they should have done is gone to Mid City, the subway station first instead of spending all that time killing the. Well, I think it happens out of sequence because because we see in a flashback that Rick Flag was there to try and take care of the situation, and then it didn't work out, and then that's when she created her whole. And it's funny because all the Marvel movies are always, this, uh, and I hate to keep comparing them back and forth, but the fact that D, the fact is that DC is trying to establish a shared universe like Marvel has already done. And that brand loyalty. And that money, too. They like that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, the money, too. But, but I mean, there's a brand loyalty where they do a Ant-Man movie and people, like, shrug and, like, all right, let's buy our tickets. It comes out next week. It's the next Marvel movie. And people haven't, I don't know, if general audiences, I mean, you know, the geek community and you know, people like me who follow movies and stuff will be there regardless. But I don't think general audiences are just like, oh, Suicide Squad, what is that? Like, the, you know, they're not, they don't just go because it's a DC movie, I don't feel like, yet. Um, maybe they're getting to that point. Um, but the fact that the Marvel movies are always well, Batman accused... Batman movie, people go see it. The Marvel, well, yeah, Batman, but people love Batman, that's a different thing. But the fact that the Marvel movies are always accused of just, you know, one-dimensional villains, uh, a big blue beam in the sky, Avengers, Fantastic Four, every Marvel movie and most superhero movies in general, including Man of Steel or Man of Steel with the terraforming process, all this CG monsters and crazy shit in the third act, which was honestly some of the um, some held held my interest the least in this movie was all the enchantress and by extension the thing with her her brother who I don't even know why I care about this guy but you're telling me and they didn't even explain it he's basically her minion for the movie I don't really care yeah why they yeah and they I never know. even established where he came from a lot of the I would have I would have exp- oh, why did she chose that man to be her brother just random guy I think um, I would have preferred had the plan involved the Joker. Like, or had it, had there been a reveal towards the end where, like, where Lex Luthor was working with Amanda Waller or something and then, you know, trying to orchestrate something from prison. Something like that that tied into the developing story rather than this bullshit thing with the Enchantress. Yeah, the Joker story, if they were, they should, yeah, they should just focus on one or the other and built it out more because the Joker being thrown in there, it just, it kind of felt a little discombobulated Well, just like BVS, which was discombobulated because they have... The Batman Superman conflict, and then Wonder Woman, and then Justice League, and then Doomsday for some reason. It's like you didn't need all of that. Pick like 
That's what happened with Amazing Spider-Man too. Right. Just too much. Man of Steel. Going as on. I know you have issues with Man of Steel, but at least that is a singular story. It's like this guy was sent to Earth. He became this guy, and now he's going to turn into a hero because circumstances sort of force him to step up. Okay. And that's the only that DC movie thus far that feels like a s- distinct vision. Um, Suicide Squad probably gets closer than Batman vs. Superman because they had so much craziness going on in there. And Zack Snyder likes to cram cram so much in there. And, I, I you know, I probably at this point, I, I probably have already talked about Batman vs. Superman on this podcast because I'm going to record a segment and put it before this. Um, Listen in, everybody. Well, they'll, no, they're going to hear this before. They will have already heard that. Oh. I'm going to put this at the end. Um, behind the scenes magic on the Cricket Table podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, it didn't. That part of it didn't work for me. I, I just, but as an excuse for establishing all these characters and bringing together this, this team and taking a risk like this movie does in centering a film on a comic book title that most people really aren't. You, you think people don't know about Wonder Woman? That people really, like, people barely know about Suicide Squad. In fact, if you hadn't even heard of it until this movie no, happened. No, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, the movie deserves, you know, admiration for that side of it. As well as, you know, I know we were talking about this a little before recording, as well as for the diversity in the film. The fact that you have, you know, you have black actors, you have Asian actors, you have... You know, men, women, you have Latino, like this Diablo in there. I, I thought all of that worked into the movie's credit. Right. I think that was good. That was a good way to mix up diversity. And But Guardians of the Galaxy, say, if we're talking about it, that they have a lot of diversity, too. I mean, they have raccoon. They have a raccoon. A tree. A tree. Exactly. They're, they which, don't which I, anybody. I didn't, I didn't tell Earth. you, but in, in uh, it was revealed at Comic-Con that this is a little bit of a tangent because it's how I roll. Um at Comic-Con, they, they did show Guardians 2 footage, and apparently this movie has like a little bit, like a baby or a toddler Groot, so he's still small like he was at the end of the first movie. And apparently there's a callback to the first movie where in that scene where there are, like the camera's rotating around Groot with Rocket on his shoulder, but only it's Rocket with the tiny Groot on his shoulder instead this time. And I thought that was, that's a, that sounds like a really cute image, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. And they'll definitely um, be selling those two oh God, together of in course. stores. Of course, they're not dumb. Marvel knows what's up. So Disney, like everybody Disney has knows the Guardians of the Galaxy merchandise from the first movie. But now you not... need this one. Exactly. It's just every movie, the hub Groot at a different age. But like you got to collect them all: baby Groot, <laughs> teenage Groot, middle aged Groot, senior citizen Groot. Right. Um, but anyway, back to Suicide Squad. So I feel like hand. I feel like it has a lot of a lot of the same issues as Guardians for me, um, but a lot of the same strengths as well. The cast really works. The chemistry between the cast really works. Um, the the characters I want to see more of them. I want to see these characters interact with other characters from the you know from the other films. I want to see Batman interact with this Joker, which we didn't get in this movie. I want to see you know I want to see Batman face off. Basically, I want to see Batman interact with the people in this movie because I don't. They're mostly Batman villains for the most part, but I, I want to see the Justice League come up against some of these characters in future movies. Um, but this, but this particular movie, I think I have to go with you with like a three point five. Um, which is the same score that I gave to Guardians of the Galaxy. So it, to me, it's around the same level. It's more cohesive and makes more sense than the theatrical cut of BVS by far. Um, but it's not exactly like the the home run that some people were probably hoping for, That the, the, the home run that some people feel Deadpool was. I actually think Deadpool is a better movie. Um, 
And it does feel like Suicide Squad is sort of like, let's take like this, like the style of Guardians, but like the a little bit of the edginess from Deadpool and sort of try and and Suicide Squad was the right property for that approach because antiheroes are so huge right now. Right. Yeah, I know. Interesting. Interesting way of looking at it. But um, Deadpool also, you know, I think that uh, I think that Ryan Reynolds having so much creative control over that film in the first place may have helped because he loved that character so much. And I mean, did any of these actors in Suicide Squad have any care about these characters? No, and and the thing is, too, this is an ensemble piece, so it's not really fair to compare it to Deadpool, even though I mean, even though I was saying like in, in approach, it's sort of. Feels like a product of what's popular right now in comic book movies. Mayhem. Chaos. Well, sort of. Yeah, exactly. There's no, no F-bombs in Suicide Squad, though. No, no. Although I would have been curious to see an R-rated cut, but I don't think it, I don't think one really exists. It seems like they were pretty much trying to shoot for a PG-13. And most of the imagery that seemed like it was going to be really scary in the marketing wasn't really. So before we start to wind things down, first of all, well, are you looking forward to seeing more of these characters in other movies? Or are you like, I don't care. You guys are stupid. Well, were we going to talk about the movie? I'm going to get there. Okay. I'm going right. to get there in a second. That's going right. to be the last thing I'm going to close out on. Okay. Are you looking forward to seeing any more of these people in future movies, or are you sort of like, I'm good now, no more Harley Quinn, please. No more Captain Boomerang, no more Deadshot. Or or you like that now we know who these characters are and they can they can show up like you know, like Marvel has been able to do, that these characters exist and they can come weave in and out of other other stories. What would be really cool to see is Justice League and Suicide Squad teaming up. And I don't know if that's the angle that they're going to go to because and also I don't know if it's known if it's Suicide Squad is going to have a sequel but I would be it's curious rumored. I don't know if it's been officially announced well yet. nobody knows what the reviews are yet either well so. but if it does 140 million like it's projected to right then they're gonna be like oh sequel but, Monday you know, morning it's sequel's all with DC it's all about figuring out the next part how things are gonna go because it isn't it isn't Marvel you know they're not guaranteed you know, $300 and, and, million. Dollars. And it shouldn't. And it's, I don't want it to be Marvel. Like, I, I the reason, and it's, you know, people listening to the podcast probably think that we're very DC biased because we had a whole episode on Batman v Superman and now we're doing an episode on Suicide Squad and they're like, well, where was your Captain America Civil War episode? And, you know, scheduling and, you know, the inconsistency of, you know, on my end of posting episodes kind of led to that being old news by the time we recorded uh, one. But Marvel has sort of slipped into a formula where, you know, they're good, but rarely are they great. Like, rarely, rarely are they, you come out and you're like, holy shit, that was an amazing movie. I feel like Civil War was one. But other, other, yeah, other than the Captain America movies, there's been like maybe like, you know, the first event, the first Avenger movie, Avengers movie, not the first Avenger Captain America, the first Avengers movie and like a couple of the others. But of the like, of the 13, I'd say maybe a third of them were like were were what i would consider excellent and the rest were either you know decent and that would probably be iron man 2 which is not a terrible movie but not great to to real very good but you know not exceptional and i don't want dc to slip into a rut like it feels like even though these movies are imperfect batman v superman and this one and man of steel I do feel like they're doing something different and they're taking artistic chances and they're, you know, to make a movie of Suicide Squad this early in their cinematic universe or extended universe, I guess, is kind of a ballsy move. So I I give them props for for going there. Yeah, no, I agree. And they're already going to 
they're not even going to be doing very many origin stories before they just just jump into the Justice League. Right. Do you like that better? Do you like the approach of these people exist? Figure out who they are. Let's go yes, forward. Because I mean, it's like I've, we've had enough origin stories already. Right. And it's good that DC is just like, yeah, Batman's been fighting crime. Well, you don't need a Batman time. one, but you know the fact that they already introduced the Flash. They already introduced uh, who we should say the Flash had a brief cameo in this. Apparently, I guess he was the one that stopped. It looked like it was Diablo, if I'm remembering right. Oh, maybe. I think he stopped Diablo. Well, that yeah. was boring, though, because Diablo already surrendered, technically, didn't he? Well, but he already had the suit, so he's already running around doing his thing. Right, exactly. So everybody's recruited. already doing stuff. So everybody, so basically, already basically, we learn who these people are fully formed, and whether or not the Flash and Aquaman movie will be prequels and tell their origin stories or just continue on as you know their own adventure, that remains to be seen. I mean, I think with Wonder Woman, it makes sense that they... Because you don't really need... I mean, you could make a whole Flash movie where Barry Allen got struck by lightning and he gets these powers, but you already have the show if you want to know. If you want to know an origin story for The Flash, you got it. You have a show. Just watch the pilot of, of that CW show and then keep watching because it's awesome. <laughs> um, but with Wonder Woman, her, her origin is more complex. She's got a whole mythology and a whole universe behind her. Plus, that character deserves to have a big screen origin she never has before. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited that they're doing with that. And she was the she was the best part of BVS. Well, I also like Ben Affleck's Batman, but yeah, she brought a freshness to it because we hadn't seen Wonder Woman on screen before. So you like that they're just being like, here's Harley Quinn. She's Harley Quinn. Here's a couple flashbacks if you really wanted, but we're not going to give like a Harley Quinn movie before we do this. Yeah, stuff. and it was perfect the way that they did the, explain the origin stories. Where it was really quick, and you got. You know, you got the gist of what they were going oh, for. Oh, the other reason, you, you you mentioned this, I think we mentioned this earlier already, earlier already but um, did, I did notice that they had, the, she put the lineup of the Suicide Squad, and it was, you know, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. Killer Croc, Captain Boomerang, I forget now, and the, uh, Diablo, and then Slipknot. And I was like, we didn't get any flashbacks for Slipknot. That probably doesn't bode well for yeah, Slipknot. Yeah. And then Slipknot's like, pff, his head blows up in five seconds. I'm like, oh, okay, that's I kind of figured. That's the other, that's the other like, um, I guess pun intended, because Rick flags in the movie. That's the other red flag for me, uh, you know, that he wasn't going to stick around. So tying into our whole comment about, you know, characters being fully formed, before we close out, I feel like one of the most talked about parts of this movie has been Jared Leto as the Joker. And, you know, there was that image that was released with him, you know, shirtless with all the tattoos. And people were like, what the fuck are they doing to the Joker? This doesn't look like any Joker I've seen before. And then all the marketing material, you know, making him look really scary with all the like the grills, basically. And I get the I guess the idea there is that he's been in so many fights that his teeth have all been punched out at some point or another. So he's been capped all of them. Or maybe he just wants to cap them. Maybe. That's what uh, a lot of people do with grills. Maybe. Uh, but I like, I like the idea that he's been in so many, he's beaten the shit out. He, Batman's beaten the shit out of him so many times that he's just lost all his teeth. I think that's a kind of a more badass idea. They don't establish whether or not that's the case in this movie, but every image that was coming out, people were like losing their shit over this interpretation of the Joker. And I know that you had issues with um, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. In BVS, I actually liked him in there. I thought he was one of the few elements of that film that actually brought some life to it, even though it was a little over the top and ridiculous, but he's supposed to be insane. So I, you know, I I can accept a lot more of that kind of behavior from a character like that. So the big question, what was your thoughts on the Joker? Did it work for you or not? What, you know, what, what did or didn't, I guess, and all that? Well, I, I tried to go in 
to Suicide Squad with an open mind that doesn't regarding sound good. Joker because I didn't want to because I already was not liking what I saw in the trailers, which is a similar thing that happened with Lex Luthor. And I go in there, try to have an open mind, and I I appreciate what um, the the writers are trying to do and what Jared Leto was trying to do. They were they were trying to bring a different performance than what we've seen before of the you know the Joker's in the past. But I just I just didn't like it. It didn't work for me. I thought it was I thought the the Jared Leto's portrayal of Joker was just just weird and ostentatious and he was like a punk gang ganger he guy. Made, he, made, just, it was he even made people obnoxious. he made people kiss his ring and everything. Yeah, it was just obnoxious. although that moment where um, Ike Barinholtz's character kisses his ring and then he kind of pulls back. He's like, oh, I could tell you really meant that. I thought that was a great moment. Which what happened to him? Did he die? I don't know if that was established. I was wondering about and that too. And that's so actually. weird. I mean, he's a security guard, a warden, and all of a sudden he's the Joker. Kind of recruits him, I think. Yeah, and he's like, oh, people yeah. debt. I is, he's like a, to loan sharks or something. That was so random and out of place, and they they could have explained that better. Or not had it in there at all. Right, exactly. Because like, it didn't seem like they really needed him for anything. Yeah, what did they need him for? I don't, what, did, what was his function? Why did the Joker even work with him? That didn't make any sense. Yeah. To get access? Jo- yeah, I don't to, know. To, to know, to be updated on what Amanda Waller was up to, maybe? I so guess. So he could go and find and get Harley? And, but then they have those guns things that are supposed to um, um, put bolts in you, but they... Used it once and then they didn't use it again. Yeah, so I well, know. I mean, all those characters—they want to be around for future movies and stuff. Yeah, I don't. That was just it, that continuity of that storyline didn't make sense. But no, I just I didn't like it. Um, it just it's, so just to put in to to contextualize a little bit. What were you, you know? What are your thoughts on previous versions? Did you like Keith Ledger's? Because if you don't, the internet will kill you. Did you like uh, Jack Nicholson? Like, how did you feel about like? Are you okay with? Multiple versions of the Joker, or are you just like I, I, I Heath Ledger's my Joker. That's it. Fuck you. Um, I think the different incarnations of Joker is fine, especially since, from my understanding of the comic books, there are different incarnations of Joker. Just like there's different incarnations of well, I just Batman. Read a, I just wrote a whole book about Batman and how he's changed over the decades, from being like, uh, you know, Adam West to oh, where did our drugs going and stuff. So, um, I, I mean. Jack Nicholson's Joker will always be my favorite because that's the the, bat, the Joker that I grew up with. But um but yeah, Heath Ledger did a great job too. I just I don't know. I just I mean, clearly this Joker, Jared Leto's Joker was insane and chaotic and Does it maybe is it maybe because we don't know how he got this way? Like if we understood a little bit more of of, I mean, we know how he got this way and fell in chemicals and stuff, but we don't have any glimpse of who he is before this. He just shows up, and he's and the way he is. And yeah, and then is that maybe like if if future like if a future Batman movie delves more into his relationship with Batman, would that help you maybe accept it more? Or are you just like I mean, is, is maybe. it is it the fact it's the fact that he's like a Mac Daddy like King of Gotham style type deal? Is it's, that what bugs you? Yeah, it's just weird, and I feel like Jared Leto was playing it up because he has. He has a lot to take on with this Joker. Like, he has to basically be a different Joker than Heath Ledger, who won the post 
Posthumous. Posthumous Oscar. So that's a lot to live up to. I mean, Jared Leto has one too, but. Um, but not for this character. But yeah, I think yeah. he was just. I, I also just kind of think he was hamming it up for that reason too. And it just. Well, but if you're going to ham it up. That Joker and his performance just did not work for if me. If you're going to ham it up, Joker is the role to ham it up in. Right. Even more so than Lex Luthor. And that's why some people had issues with uh, Eisenberg's take on Lex Luthor because he was playing it almost like he was the Riddler or the Joker, where he was just like really like. Like uh, kind of antsy and like with the you know the all the facial tics and and weird speech pattern and such and such. Um, I sort of agree with some of your Joker criticisms. I didn't I didn't it didn't bug me as much as it bugged you, but I wasn't a hundred percent sold. Like um, I, I like in the context of his relationship with Harley, I thought he was more interesting. But that scene where he's you know where he was trying to. Like, hook up common who played some random gangster, I oh, guess yeah. with Harley and then got pissed and then killed him. I, uh, I don't, I don't know what the hell that was about. Yeah. That was, um, I, that was very odd. I mean, I and guess just it's just, he's in. I guess, I think it, I think it's maybe because he could tell that that guy was into his lady. And so he just wanted like a reason where he felt justified in killing him. Or maybe or he just didn't like him at all. In general, and maybe. Like, oh well. But it seemed like the whole the movie goes toward the theme of but the that, whole. But she was dancing up on some other guy. Yeah, I know. In the cage, I, I don't, so I don't why didn't he want to kill him? Well, he's the Joker. He's unpredictable and not really rational. But the theme of the whole movie was, from what I can tell, people searching for redemption, searching for love, that kind of thing. Diablo wanted to be redeemed, if you know, for what he what he did to his family. Uh, Deadpool one. Uh, Deadpool. Oh my God. Deadshot. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Deadshot um, wanted to be redeemed in the eyes of his daughter because and that was a great scene where Batman faces off with Deadshot. Yeah. And uh, his daughter sort of gets in the middle. And Harley wanted to re- basically, you know, sort of win back the Joker, like, you know, get back with him. And everybody's searching for a sense of belonging. Um, and I thought that was an interesting theme to sort of to um, to connect them all in similar fashion as uh, Guardians had you know, that same kind of theme going on where everybody had lost something, everybody's looking for something and, uh, sort of finds it in each other in a weird way. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of still on the fence with Jared Leto's Joker. Certain elements of it I thought were interesting and quirky, but I don't know. It just didn't gel properly. Maybe that's because in my mind, the character is so inextricably linked to Batman and we didn't see them interact at all in this movie because I guess they're holding that back. Uh, you think so? I mean, we know we're going to see that at some point. Otherwise, what's the point of having them in both in these movies? Um, so, I mean, I, until I see him, I need to see him. I need to see him play off of Batman uh, and the chemistry that Jared Leto and Ben Affleck have on screen. I think that will be what a, the really real deciding factor for me. So... That's I have a feeling that's going to be that Jared Leto's performance is going to be a bone of contention for people. I mean, he was great in it. It's just do how do I feel about the way that this character is being portrayed? Right, is what it is for what he has to do. Jared Leto is great because Jared Leto is a great actor in general. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. It's it's been unclear if Joker and or Lex Luthor, you know, or any of the other established villains are going to appear in the Justice League movie or. Or if that's just really going to be more about Steppenwolf, who's Darkseid's uh, lieutenant, essentially. If that's going to focus more on that, I feel like there's going to they're going to need to have some minor antagonists throughout to sort of build up to that. 
but uh, but you know we'll see what happens in the months ahead. This long, it's like a year and a half until Justice League. Oh my god! Hits. It comes out in November next year. So Wonder Woman, I think is June ish. June second, I thought. Yeah, something like that. So you know we'll we're still aboard the DC extended universe. We're looking forward to see what happens next. Um, we're trying to see if wait until Superman comes back. Yeah, and and I thought that was good that we should I guess we should comment on that on the podcast real fast. I thought that was good that in the Justice League trailer from Comic Con, or it's really not it's not a hundred percent official trailer. It's really more of a sort of just Comic Con presentation, is what Warner Brothers is calling it. Um, I you know they didn't reveal anything about Superman. I mean, we know he's in the movie, but they didn't show how he comes back or any of that. And I thought that was that was smart. You know, if you have so long to go, don't really don't give us all that. We don't need to know that at this point. And they may not, we may not know until the movie. Actually I, w- I think that would be it. awesome if they don't really put like all the trailers. They they never show any footage of Henry Cavill in the movie. I think that would be that would be great. That was a or, mistake with BBS. Or that would mean well, yeah. Or that would mean, and I think they learned that mistake, which is why you know I was telling you before the movie tonight started that Suicide Squad, you, you know, it was about to start, and I was telling you I, I still feel like we don't really know what this movie is about because you know we didn't know enchantress was the villain until we went in right and the thing is is some of the dialogues that the dialogue they put in the trailer trailers um you didn't really know what was going on yeah. like you didn't know who jared leto was talking to when he said i'm gonna hurt you real real bad and, i had a, and I, it, I had seen photos and stuff and i uh, sort of figured well, it was okay, that scene but i mean depends i didn't how, know that yeah it depends how deep you want to dive into okay, it okay yeah. and then also the scene where um harley quinn says uh-oh they did that synced right up with with the Joker, so the Joker, you're thinking the Joker's just showed up, right? And that we're sh- that she's well, scared of the, the Joker. One of the funny ones for me was, you know, at the end where she's like making her demands of what she wants, and she's like, "I want an espresso machine." And then you see her at the end in her back in her cell with a little cup of espresso, and then like making herself a new one before Joker comes in and, and you know, rescues her. And of course, we knew he didn't die in the plane uh, crash. Yeah, that was we a also helicopter never see crash. The fact that he died. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're duh, they're not going to kill the Joker. The fact that the movie—I don't know if they, even the movie even wanted us to believe it was just important that Harley thought he was dead. But the espresso reveal in, is just you know a random shot of her and herself. And we—I assumed it was from early on in the movie before she gets out. But the fact that it plays in at the end, I—I I, I, I love when when trailers if they were if they were show. When they show stuff, they show it out of context, so you basically have no idea what you're looking at. And that that trailer was so stylishly done with the music, with Ballroom Blitz, with Bohemian Rhapsody, with I Started a Joke. That which I wish they had some Ballroom Blitz in there. Yeah, what in was the up movie? with that? Yeah, I didn't. They yeah. played everything else. Anyway, I know. Go on. I know. Um, so it does seem like DC is learning from their mistakes as far as. You know, I feel like with Suicide Squad, they they learned the, from BBS not to give too much away. I feel like. You know, going forward, they seem to be adding more levity into the movies and not being like, this is serious business. We're superheroes and look what's happening to our world. I'm like, OK, well, yes. But then you're just like, you know, I don't know. It the, these When you break it down, these the, all these comic book movies are really ridiculous. Like if you like focus in on what's happening, you're like, there's a guy who dresses like a bat and there's a guy who thinks he's a clown. And there's a guy who shoots webbing out of his arm. I mean, sh- sh- I mean, granted, he makes his own web shooters, but whatever. So there's a man with powers of a spider. There's a, like a dude who's frozen in ice and then comes back wearing a flag on his torso. It's all really silly. So I feel like. And also, uh, DC movies in general are also very dark. Well, more dark than the Marvel. Dark, the last so, couple, yeah. So this one wasn't levity, as much. This one had levity. The, well, the Batman, the Christopher Nolan were dark too. 
that was actually the first dark. I think what happened was it to add levity is good because DC needs that because the film's already so dark in nature. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Marvel Uh, already is more bright and happy. They need to strike a more balanced tone with the DC movies and not feel like, I think they, I think that they are, that approach has been reactionary from the Dark Knight trilogy. And since that did so well, I think they were just thinking, oh, we have to make all our movies like that because look how much people like it. But wasn't DC Comics traditionally more dark in general? Uh, I guess it comes and goes. It depends. It depends which which ones you're talking about. There's been so many versions of these characters. But it does feel like Suicide Squad was a, was a, uh, the first time that they actually had some jokes and they didn't other than oh is she with you? I thought she was with you and things like that, which didn't even because then when you try and add a, a comedic moment like that in a movie that's so dark it, it just falls flat. It just feels sort of jarring half the time, more than having the intended effect of making you smile or laugh or whatever. And I think I think that Warner Brothers in DC felt early on that they had to be really dark and really serious so that the, so that audiences would take their movies seriously, I guess. You know what I mean? So that audiences would be like, oh my God, this is a great movie. Look at how serious it is. But that's not what people respond to. Civil War has, and I hate to keep comparing them, but it's kind of hard not to. Civil War has a lot of serious moments, but it's also one of the most fun movies of the year and probably the best like blockbuster spectacle so far. And we're in August now. But that's because they balance everything out and they hit the emotional beats that they need to hit. It's not always somber and kind of depressing. You know, it, it comes from the characters, which is why someone like The Flash coming in Justice League is not going to bring that same darkness that Batman would because, you know, it should flow naturally from the essence of that character. So in closing, any final thoughts on Suicide Squad? Um, no, I mean, just go ahead and see it, everybody and see what it's all about and see if you like it or if you hate it. But the DC movies seem to be moving in the right direction, and that's something we're excited about. Yes. Okay. And Marvel and DC can have a nice... I always like it when Disney has competition. Because, I like when anybody has competition. Yeah, I competition like it. makes it's, both people make, makes both entities, companies and studios in this case, I guess, makes you know pushes them to be better. Exactly. So now, good. so now, if DC starts making better and better and better movies, Marvel will have to be like, "Fuck, we need to shake things up and and raise our game." Exactly. It and, only uh, makes and, it only yeah. makes the films better. So I like that Disney's got a little bit of competition. Yes, with we Warner like, Brothers. We like Marvel. We like DC. We just want good movies from everybody. So. Keep, you know, we're rooting for both. Right. But we just tend to see more Marvel. No, I see all of them. What do you mean? You saw, well, Marvel has more movies out. That's why. Marvel has now three okay. movies coming out a year. DC is this, you know, this, this is the first year that they've had two movies in a year before, I think. Okay. You're right. At least in the same, you know, continuity. Uh, but yeah, very excited about Doctor Strange. Very excited about Wonder Woman. Justice League, Thor, all the stuff coming up in the next year. So stay tuned to the Cricket Table Podcast for all that. You can find um, all of our podcasts, videos, reviews, and other movie-related goodies on CricketTable.com. Find us on Facebook. Also follow me on Twitter, at Cricket Table. And also you can find both of us on Letterboxd. Oh, yeah, Letterboxd. And I'm on Twitter as well at at, uh, Vol- at the Volky LLC as well as that's my letterbox handle too. You said as well a couple times. Then. I did. I guess as it's my well. favorite phrase of the day. It is as well. Ah, I feel like Pee Wee's Playhouse. You know, today's favorite word is as well. Yeah. <laughs> so for the Crooked Table Podcast, this is Rob and this is Kai, and we'll catch you guys next time. Roll credits. 
This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. F-Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> 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 <laughs>